Welcome all the way in, Whisper Nation, to another live episode of the Fantasy Whispers right here on Thursday, March 24th. And boys, it's episode 259 of the show. We're ready to rock and roll. We're going to be talking about some news, some notes, some picks, um, you know, these trades that go down, and we're, we're going to value picks versus players. But man, this this offseason, boys, is the gift that keeps on giving. We've asked if it's it's if it's the craziest offseason, Austin. Like it's got to be, right? I can't remember a better one. I would need to see some stats lined up to really give an affirmative in either way. But it sure as shit feels like the most jam packed, exciting video game driven offseason we've ever seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. That was Austin Sear. You can find him on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Johnny. This has got to be the craziest uh, offseason. I mean, uh, I'm with Austin. I don't think I can remember another one. That, I mean, multiple QBs, multiple big-name wide receivers. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. This has been by far the best free agency that we've seen, but I love it, dude. The NFL has this way of just hyping itself up, man. It, like, it, it just promotes itself. It takes over days that are supposed to be for other sports, but no, or for God. Oh yeah, or for yeah, or for God. And it just says, you know Rogers what? Day. Hey, it just is, says, is it Roger Good Goddell? Oh. Whoa, dude! Whoa! Conspiracy theory. Put that cheese head on your hat or hat on your head. Well, if you guys don't know, we are the Fantasy Whispers. We're here live with you, and if you're new to the channel, go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe and join Whisper Nation as we rock and roll through the offseason. We're on our way to 3,000 subscribers over on YouTube, so help us reach that number. Um, we do mock drafts. We do all the good stuff follow, following you up with content. We're going to start getting guests on the show. It's going to be a good time. Boys, we're going to jump into some news and notes. Now, we all know the Tyreek Hill storyline is the big one. want to say, yeah, let's, let's say what's up to Jason Hackward in the chat here. What's up, Jason? Welcome in. Uh, we will uh, start rocking through some of these news and notes. And I and look, I know I don't want to bury the lead. I know that Tyreek Hill is the big uh, story here, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We've got a couple other housewarming notes to get into, uh, like the Bucks are re-signing Leonard Fournette. Um, Tom Brady returns to Tampa after he unretires, and now his buddy Leonard Fournette is going to re-sign as well for a three-year deal worth up to twenty-one million, up to twenty-four million. Uh, actually is where it can max out at with incentives. Before missing the final three games last year, Fournette was an RB1 for six straight weeks. And as he took over as Tampa Bay's workhorse, Austin, I'll start with you. Are we expecting Lombardi Lenny to repeat as an RB1 like he did in those six games last year? Why not? Yeah, I mean, we've just seen it before, right? I mean, like Brady's, Brady's running backs. Brady's running backs have done work traditionally, and the thing getting in the way of Leonard Fournette are two things, health and opportunity. Health, right now he's got it. Opportunity is what was the big question mark last season with Ronald Jones and Giovanni Bernard coming on and Keyshawn Vaughn looming in the background still. Now Ronald Jones is not expected to be a Buccaneer. Giovanni Bernard is not either. Even if they bring in some supplementary pieces, this is going to be Leonard Fournette's backfield. And for him to come and sign on board with a three-year deal after Brady returns means Tom Brady A-OK'd Leonard Fournette being his RB1. And if he's got the Tom Brady seal of approval going it with he what he did last year at the end of the season, as you already mentioned, Travi, like Leonard Fournette might deserve us. I mean, dare, I'm going to say it here. 
a second round price in redraft leagues like that's kind of I think you'll probably get him for cheaper than that. But when it's all said and done, if health stays with him, he's going to be a second round, maybe even a first round type of running back in redrafts, Travi. Yeah, I mean, Austin makes a great point here, Johnny. And and we what we saw was a decimation of the RB1 last year, especially drafted in the first round. So many injuries. And even Fournette himself did not stay healthy. As Mr. Miyagi says, it's a pass-heavy offense. All depends on what round. Austin talking, his his ceiling is probably that second round you know, value. Yeah. Where are you at with Leonard Fournette? Because I do think he's going to be underdrafted. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think initially he will be underdrafted. A lot of people will hype him up. And then that that draft value will go up. And I'll ultimately end with a question on where I think he'll end up playing or, you know, going in drafts. And I'll just throw it back to you guys with the question on who you take. But when you're just talking about Leonard Fournette, you know, Austin hit it, no Rojo. That definitely improves. The O-line could be a little bit worse. That is something to watch out for. But again, you're looking at Leonard Fournette only 62.2% of the time did he see a uh, – or. 62% of the time he saw a, a light front. Uh, so that's that's really good, of course, because players are wanting to stop Tom Brady. Why not? But here's what's re- uh, really cool about Leonard Fournette. We talked about him missing games. He's going to miss games. That's just who he is. But if you look at what his points per game average are over that span, uh, last three years, RB9, RB33, RB3. Uh, and, and so you're just looking at 16 touchdowns from a guy uh, last two seasons of behind Tom Brady, I'll take him, but it depends on where he goes, like most people say. But here's where I do think he goes. That would be Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott. And the reason I ask that is because you look at what Ezekiel Elliott did last year. He finished as an RB2 the vast majority of his games, I believe, or I, I say vast majority, but it was like 10 games, right? 10 or 12 games, something like that. Leonard Fournette, 11 of 14 games, finished as an RB2 or better. So which one would you rather have? Of course, you know, like uh, Mr. Miyagi pointed out, you have one that's a little bit more of a run first projected to be uh, in, in Dallas Cowboys or someone that's going to be passed or throw heavy and, and, but it's on Tom Brady, you know, how many goal lines he's going to get. Go for it. Awesome. You know, I think it's a really interesting draw. And if you're asking me right now, gut check, I'm going Leonard Fournette. I just think that you've got a little bit of a, dist, uh, like a, an extinguished excitement with Ezekiel Elliott. And it doesn't mean that Ezekiel Elliott's not ultimately going to be more productive over the course of 18 weeks. But if you're asking me right now, I think there's a lot more excitement in Tampa Bay with new lead running back Leonard Fournette freshly off of a signed contract than Ezekiel Elliott. Is it going to be him or Tony Pollard? Like the, you can just feel the room right here. One thing I did also want to throw out a point on Leonard Fournette because Mr. Miyagi is correct. It's a pass heavy offense. Leonard Fournette in the last month and a half of football from weeks 12 through 18 was number seven in running backs in terms of targets received. He had 30 targets over the last six weeks. He's ahead of Antonio Gibson, Ezekiel Elliott, Javante Williams, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, uh, Cordero Patterson, uh, David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, Amir Abdullah, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, and Saquon Barkley were the only running backs in the last month and a half of football who got more targets thrown their way. 
And I think there's reasons to believe Leonard Fournette is going to get even more targets per average than he did to close out the season last year. I love that you brought that up because it was such a huge part of his game that one year in Jacksonville where he caught almost like 70 balls, I think it was. And then we were like wondering if he could do that in Tampa Bay. And remember, prior to last year, Tampa Bay had led the league in drops. They went out and signed Giovanni Bernard. But during this run that Fournette went on that Austin just alluded to, Giovanni Bernard got hurt. And so if you're the casual fan, you're thinking, oh, well, they brought in Bernard, you know, last year because of this, or maybe even Fournette got injured the last part of the year. I think people are going to sleep a little bit on Fournette, and I think it's to their own dismay dismay if they do, because, again, I think he's going to be one of those guys that can really bring home RB1 uh, value here. Want to say what's up to everybody in the chat before we move on here. Do it 420, Mr. Miyagi, Jason, and, of course, our boy Z in here. Z says, sup, boys, I'm taking Fournette and James Conner over Ezekiel Elliott and PPR formats. James Conner is another one that I think uh, could yeah. be, I mean, no Chase Edmonds going to be in line. I mean, he was already a huge workhorse for them last year. Uh, could be in line for even more work this year as we saw some other weapons depart from Arizona. Mm-hmm. All right, some more house uh, housekeeping News and notes here. The Falcons traded Matt Ryan to the Colts for a third-round pick, according to the Pat McAfee Show. I don't see Matt Ryan as a huge fantasy football asset himself, and maybe I'm going to be wrong on this. I just want to I want to temper expectations on him. But I want to ask you, Johnny, start this off. Which Colts player are you most excited for in fantasy football because of the Matt Ryan trade? If I'm if I'm being honest, I I, I do think that uh, well Matt Ryan I'll touch on him I do think Matt Ryan actually will have weeks that you know I, I don't mind drafting Matt Ryan at the end of drafts because uh, you know he's going to go no one's going to really think to pick him up but you've got Carson Wentz who was an RB uh, quarterback 14 last year who you know was on two half ankles right and you look at what Matt Ryan did a couple of years ago when they had you know like they had a good running game paired with his play action, he w- he finished uh, three out of five years as a top 10 quarterback. Two of those years, he finished as a top two quarterback. Now, am I saying he can get that high? No, I don't think so. I don't know if he can get there. But the night, the interesting thing is, is in those years, he threw 38 touchdowns, uh, 35 plus touchdowns, limited his, his interceptions. Well, Carson Wentz last year threw for 27 touchdowns. So is it is it uh, unrealistic to say that, uh, you know, having a more, I would say, solid and and thorough quarterback at the at the position that's not going to take as many chances. And Matt Ryan over Carson Wentz, they might actually throw a little bit more in the red area as opposed to handing it off every single time to Jonathan Taylor. Now, am I saying that's going to happen? I, I'm not guaranteeing and you can never guarantee anything. But there I do think that there will be weeks where Matt Ryan uh, could end up being a starter for you if not have that ceiling of upside potential because Jonathan Taylor behind you but the guy that I'm most interested in in all seriousness guys it's whoever ends up being the wide receiver too sounds strange enough and the reason I say that is look at his track history Matt Ryan that is you look at the number one wide receiver he's had alphas before he's had uh Julio Jones he's had Calvin Ridley by himself and um well, those are the two main ones, right? Roddy he, also White. Had, he had Roddy White, right? And then and when Julio phased in, right? Julio had the most uh, touchdowns earlier in his career. Why? Because he was the number two wide receiver. Look, Calvin Ridley, when he was popping off for all these touchdowns, when was he 
dominant was when Julio Jones was in the lineup. That was when he was getting the majority of his touchdowns. Similarly to, uh, you know, last year, right? Um, you always saw there was that secondary wide receiver, Cordero Patterson, oftentimes scored out of that wide receiver position. So that's the role that I'm very intrigued by as far as like, hey, it could be a sneaky kind of dart throw that no one's really looking at, but that has the highest upside uh, ceiling. But I think this I think this team is going to be awesome. Like, I, I'm just going to say, it. I think they're going to be really good. Colts in the playoffs next year. They beat Jacksonville in the last week of the season to make it in. I don't think they have to make, I think they win the division with like, you know, they should walk away with this division. With a few honestly. weeks before the end of the season. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, exactly. With the, yeah. Anybody getting your, your juices flowing here, Austin, as far as uh, <laughs> ancillary pieces or even Matt Ryan himself, I guess, you know, Johnny kind of took the curveball there. You know, I would be considering Matt Ryan in dual quarterback leagues. I am not feeling awesome about him as my redraft single quarterback, uh, but uh, maybe as a maybe as a deep flyer. But I, I mean, if, if I'm being honest on the show and I do my best to do exactly that, I'm not excited about Matt Ryan as a fantasy quarterback for you next year. I'm excited if I'm a Colts fan. I think he's going to win me that last game. I think he's probably going to win me a few more than Wentz did. Um, not in dramatic fashion, not in a huge, not with a huge margin over Carson Wentz. I see them actually as somewhat kind of comparable when I take a look at their last couple of seasons here. I mean, Matt Ryan has been hanging around the mid-20s touchdowns, low double-digits interceptions now for the last three seasons. 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions last year, 26 and 11, 26 and 14 the last couple of years before that. So I'm not overly enthused, but I think I'm with Mo Ali Cox and do it for 20 here. Who'd be the interesting pickup. We've seen a history of Matt Ryan showing rapport with his tight ends. Obviously him and Tony Gonzalez really clicked. Obviously Tony Gonzalez is an elite figure tight end, but even other of the non elite ones, he still got work done, whether it be Hayden Hurst or Kyle Pitts in his rookie year last year was still productive. I think Mo Ali Cox is better than his stat line suggests. And I'm excited to see what Matt Ryan can do paired with Mo Ali Cox. I'm not over the moon about him. I'm not going to call any of these guys sleeper picks, but I think they could have production for you and be available, you know, on the waiver wire. Love Moali Cox. I'd love it if he actually finally broke out here. Yeah. 10th um, year breakout. Moali. We have our boy Killjoy in the in the chat. Oh, and uh, hey. we got some Twitch followers in here. Poosicle says, Who Poosicle? do you guys feel is the love most handsome name. guy out of the three of you? Who's the most handsome? Um, Depends on the um, setting. Yeah, on the beach, it's Travis. Yeah, um like or poolside like you've got a you've got a seaside Fun. vibe travis that is unmatched yeah you've got like like king poseidon energy that comes out i vibe that appreciate that yeah um if it's johnny on the dance floor dance it's floor john. it's me yeah yeah now for sure now if Unless you're it, out if you're out in pub just out walking in public it's austin it's Austin. Yeah, man. That, that Austin's way. got the streetwear. He's got the yeah. shoe game. And it's just, not even just, just public fire. either. That man will be public speaking. Hey. If you got a big event, hey. if you got a wedding, this guy's <laughs> going to be fly, dude. Hey, don't tell yourself short, though, either, Travi. I heard you give a best man speech not too many weeks ago, and that shit it was, was true. Good. It was really good. It was really yeah. good. Really I appreciate you guys watching on Twitch and all over the world right now. Let us know in the chat where you're watching from and hit us with a subscribe again if you're new to the channel as we keep rocking through some of these news and notes. So if Matt Ryan gets traded away from Atlanta, they had to do some work there, and they did. They agreed to terms with Marcus Mariota on a two-year deal. 
So um, I think that there's a little bit more faith maybe in Mariotti just because of the, you know, built-in legs here. But do we have faith that he's going to keep Kyle Pitts and Corderell Patterson viable in 2022? They should be in, in line for, you know, massive usage. Uh, so, Austin, do you like his chances to keep those guys going? The metaphor that just came to mind was when you're looking at a social media post and you read one of those sexy time bots that's like, why does everybody go to the bathroom after they read my stories or some nonsense <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah. And that's honestly what came to mind when you brought up Marcus Mariota, where I want to believe. And I think it could happen. And I'm like, come on, let, let's see. Maybe he's going to be awesome. You know, maybe this is really going to be something worth your time. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of setting this up to be like, it's not going to be like that. And, and, and I just say that the jury is still out on Marcus Mariota, but this guy has been a perennial backup after he was taken in the top three. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not oftentimes you see a quarterback coming in with that much pedigree, you know, him outside of coming out of Oregon. It, this, it was, it was, he was considered as he could have been the number one overall pick. Right. And he has never given you confidence as a franchise type player pair that pedigree with what we've seen thus far. And it's hard to be confident about him having another starting role. But I will say that I haven't seen a whole lot of disappointment outside of maybe where your expectations come in compared to where his pedigree's at. It, it, it's, it's just like, he seems like a, dare I say a Teddy Bridgewater. That's what yeah, comes to mind yeah, when I start to talk about Mariota. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair enough comp. And I think we saw it in a couple, you know, stints in, in, in you know, Vegas that he wasn't going to be a guy to take the job from Derek Carr, but he could come in and fill admirably if he needed to. Johnny, do you have any concerns for the offense in Atlanta? I think this is going to be one of those offenses, you know, you're not going to invest a ton in, but we like Kyle Pitts and we like what, you know, the fantasy glitch did last year. Are we still on those guys? Yeah, so here's what's interesting about Mariota, and what we have to do is go back a couple of years, get in the old time capsule, and remember that Marcus Mariota, he comes uh, from Tennessee, and who is the offensive coordinator with him? Arthur Smith. So that's why the connection seems to be there, uh, or why it's not so just out of the blue. Uh, when you look at what Mariota did underneath Arthur Smith uh, as uh, one of the, you know, OC helpers, you know, kind of thing, learning, learning the craft, as you'll say, uh, Delaney Walker is what pops off the page and what becomes interesting because Delaney Walker from 2015 to 2017 was the tight end two, tight end five and tight end five, right? Three straight years of over 800 receiving yards. Average 75 uh, catches, and that was with uh, our boy uh, Marcus Mariota here as the quarterback. So you look at what Kyle Pitts did last year and the same offense, 110 targets, over 1,000 yards receiving, just over, but only one receiving touchdown. Now that could go up with Mariota under quarterback, right? Uh, that should help a lot. And uh, what's really interesting here is Kyle Pitts finished as the tight end six, which all last year, that was our big thing is like, hey, you're probably drafting him at a ceiling. He ended up getting that right. Um, I do think the touchdowns will go up. I do think that Kyle Pitts is someone that people might fade away a little bit. I certainly was initially when I heard about the Calvin Ridley news. And then I heard about the, um, you know, Matt Ryan being traded, Mariota coming in. I was a little concerned there, but I do think Kyle Pitts ends up being the safest one. I am concerned about Cordero Patterson, the fantasy glitch. I hate to say it. Uh, I do think with Mariota and the fact that he does have his legs, 
uh, and use them. Uh, I do think that that hinders uh, Cordell Patterson's upside. And I think you might become overdrafted this year. Uh, and and I probably won't end up having him on a lot of teams because uh, you're not going to get that same value. Does it bring any? I, I'm feeling exactly the same way you are, Johnny. Does the fact that the Falcons did re-sign him give you any inkling of confidence that they plan to involve him in a similar way they did last year? Oh, for sure. I I mean, why not? He was effective, but I'm saying that like there were a lot of I, like it was fun watching him. There were a lot of plays that were like. I don't necessarily know that you can count on that uh, happening. It does again, right? feel a like lot of touchdowns. There were a lot of glitches, as you might say, huh? Yeah, there were a lot of glitches happening. It feels like and Arthur Smith was in his bag with Corderell Patterson, right? Mm-hmm. And he and, and you wonder like how long he can do that. Now, if he's one of the most prolific prolific play callers we've seen in a long time, then maybe he sticks with it. But that's a lot to be banking on, and I think that. CPAT's probably going to be overdrafted based on what he did last year. Yeah. So you, it, it might be a little too Not rich for my blood, you know, in a, in a situation where you're going to have to rely. I think I, I forget the usage last year, but remember they were using him on a quarter of the plays and he was scoring on an insane amount of the plays that they were using him on too. So it was all a lot of usage that could have been, you know, could be in line for regression there. So. All right. Our next uh, piece of news here is that in the same division, the NFC South, the Saints uh, found their man. Yeah, well, maybe not, but they didn't get Deshaun Watson, so they got Jameis Winston. It's a two-year deal, uh, base value of twenty-eight million, including twenty-one million guaranteed per Ian Rappaport. Guys, this is looking this is looking pretty ugly in New Orleans in all in all shapes and form. Coach is gone. Uh, Alvin Kamara is probably gone. Who knows how long? Mason Hill is Thomas, there. Yeah, Michael Thomas is back. Uh, but we've got our guy Jameis Winston. This epic photo of him right here, dude. Is uh, this not? Does this not look like a fifty-five-year-old retiree riding on their boat in Miami, who's just like hey. leather burned after like six consecutive yeah. years of sunbathing? It's like I, squinting because he needs to get his glasses yeah. on. Yeah. So I tried. I tried. What's funny is I tried. Also, I thought to he get, had LASIK. He was hey, supposed to be like. That wears off. Right? I mean, oh, maybe he's off. probably outside. He's probably outside. Well, I, what's funny is I was trying to get the uh, photo <laughs> or of, of him eating the W's, uh, but but I all of them were blurry. So I was like, well, I can't. And this one was hilarious. So why not? Yeah. And, this it, and then great. I forgot about it until it popped up and I clicked on it as the. You could either you know laugh at the Saints situation. Why? I guess what are we doing as far as fantasy football is concerned, guys? Austin. I every year there's a couple of teams that just don't really have any fantasy relevant players. We tried to pick the wide receiver for the Saints last year. Marquez Callaway, that video popped off for us. Johnny had a great take on him preseason. He went out and drafted him in the 10th or 11th round in our redraft league of record and dropped him a few weeks later. And I I don't know if he ever got picked up after that. You know, I tried to make some 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 cases for other wide receivers. I think I think Sharp was one of them that never panned out. I don't know why this year it's going to be different. To be honest, it's a new coach. Maybe okay, maybe Michael Thomas. He's back. Mr. Slant did have the best year a wide receiver had had two years ago. You know, like he was at the top there. You can't just fade him out. Mike, uh, excuse me, uh, James Winston has had fantasy relevant and successful wide receivers in the past. Um, and maybe Sean Payton being gone is the best thing for this. Like we needed even more new variables, more new inputs to get some different outputs. 
well, we do have a new input and a new head coach. We're going to have a new input here. And Michael Thomas, I, jury's out on how legitimate he really is, but we'll find that out pretty soon. I'm glad that we'll get to see. Um, and then you said it there with Alvin Kamara. Like, if he's playing, Kamara's a stud, but I expect for him to be gone at least six games. And, I mean, we'll see on that one. It was it was a pretty violent scene. So anything getting your getting you going, Johnny, for the Saints? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what's getting me going. First off, you talk about Marquez Callaway falling off. Yeah, because Jameis Winston, his his knee exploded, and then he had no quarterback. And so, like, uh, here here's the thing: the new offensive coordinator, or the new head coach, was the offensive coordinator. So the offense is going to stay the same. So yes, I'm very interested in Michael Thomas. Because we act like Jameis Winston didn't give we, – we talk about Mike Evans being over a 1,000-yard receiver for, uh, you know, 20 seasons or whatever it is. Well, guess what? Winston was the quarterback for four of those. So, like, yes, he can still have, make it happen. How are you going to get excited about Marquez Callaway? 14 no, yards I'm, week I'm one, saying, eight yards week two, 41 yards week three. Hey, but I'm talking about playing. total fantasy points. He had a couple of weeks where he scored some touchdowns and stuff and whatnot. But here's the thing. Uh when it comes, I'm not, I'm, and there's a major, a major, major, major difference on me now between Michael Thomas and, and my boy Callaway, even though I love Callaway, there's a huge difference between Michael Thomas's talent and Marco's yeah, Callaway. One of, the, one of those punches people to practice. The other one doesn't. Yeah. yeah right. Well, well at least okay, we but I'm just, I, Michael Thomas and also Alvin Kamara is going to be away from this team. Most likely for four games. A lot of targets. Least. So that's a lot more targets for those first four games. So if anything, yes, because Michael Thomas, like everyone thinks right now, oh, Saints, Deadpool, like don't even touch it. It looks ugly. It's hideous. Uh, but then guess what? You you could be the only one going to that dance. You can you get that girl, flash her off after the first four weeks, and then you could get a nice trade piece. I'll sign up for Michael Thomas. You won't. Somewhere in that broken analogy, I found something there. But I think <laughs> I, I think you are kind of getting me a little excited on Callaway, and I think I should probably quit. Move no, on. not Callaway. I'm Michael Thomas, oh. bro. In week five, Marquez Callaway had two touchdowns to go <laughs> yeah, along with yeah. his eighty-five we yards. Okay, never bro. called yeah. him again. Yeah, dude, blew oh, up that man. week. That one week, he blew up, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's probably See, the wide receiver. I love trading week. my girls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what what happened there, but it was it was good <laughs> stuff. Another Johnnyism. I like it. I like it for the books. All right, I'm boys. Well, the biggest piece no of news happened yesterday, as the NFL was shocked to learn that the Kansas City Chiefs and Tyree Kill's contract extension talks had stalled, and it, uh, this this happened so fast because as Schefter reported that they basically were saying, "Okay, Tyree Kill, you can seek a trade." Your, you know, you and your agent, then two teams immediately, the Jets and the Dolphins had immediately emerged as, you know, suitors. And then not long after we had a trade go through. And so gents, the details of this trade are the following Miami acquires Tyreek Hill and then extends him for four years, 120 million, including 72.2 million guaranteed. And the Kansas City Chiefs, in return, will get a 2022 second, a 2022 fourth, a 2023, a 2023, uh, this is a typo, but a 2023 sixth, and then a 2022 first. I think there's another 2023 pick in there, but I can't make it out. So, guys, this is, we're talking about five picks for one player. We're talking about 
not just any player. This is a t- field tilter. So our, our big subject for the show today is, you know, this talk about picks versus players and whether it or not it ever works out in the pick side of things. Like, do you ever really come away if you trade a guy like Tyreek Hill, who is absolutely dynamic, who can absolutely change the game? So I guess this is a, a broader subject here because there's so many things to take away. I'll just say initial reaction here, Austin, from this deal, and then you divulge into this fantasy or, or not what you think of this deal. A couple of things. I think that this is a smart move by everybody involved, and it just has to do with timing. Like You have to recognize when your team is primed to make a really big push and when your team is best situated to maybe reinvest and give yourself another go at another revolution down the way. And looking at the Kansas City Chiefs side, they have won a Super Bowl with Tyreek Hill as the lead wide receiver for the Chiefs. And when you see another wide receiver get traded and signed like Devontae Adams for such a significant deal, I believe the Chiefs looked at this and said, there's no way Tyreek is going to sign for less than that. Tyreek is probably going to want like $35 million a year because that's how he's gone and operated. They've tried to get a contract restructure done with him. He's like, nah, man, when the ink is dry, the contract is set. That's it. So he seems like he's, you know, he plays a little bit of hardball with that. And the Chiefs are looking at it saying like, we're not really going to be able to make something long-term happen. And while I think that Tyreek does have several years of elite football left, it's going to run out eventually. And you got to figure out a way to reset the offense for another wave for Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense. And it, it it's almost a, it's just a question of you have to go this direction. It, it's not like you can, if you don't do it, it's almost... It's it's risky to trade away your best receiver. It's also risky to not reinvest in your team and to try to create new options for them. I had said this in our chat earlier. A principle of business is buy low, sell high. The Chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill in the fifth round. They got a Super Bowl and several Pro Bowls out of him. And now they just got to swap him for six six picks. The Chiefs have the 12 picks coming into this year's draft more than any other team in the NFL. Um, Are they going to hurt? at the aerial position at, at, at the aerial attack a little bit. I don't think you lose an elite wide receiver and get better in that category. We'll see what Juju Smith-Schuster, Nicole Hardman, how much Travis Kelsey has to continue to hold because of that. Um, but I think that the Chiefs side, it was a smart move, even if they get a little bit worse this year. And I think on the Dolphins side, they're ready to make a splash. You know, that's what Dolphins nice. do. And, and, and I like Waddle and Tyree coming together. The last point I'll make on this one before before passing it off to Johnny is that we see almost every elite, legendary, iconic quarterback have multiple number one wide receivers throughout their career. We just talked about Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Before that, he had Jordy Nelson. And before Jordy, he had Greg Jennings. Peyton Manning had Reggie Wayne. But before Reggie Wayne, he had uh, Marvin Harrison. Tom Brady, obviously, L. Uh, Julian Edelman, but before Julian Edelman, there was Wes Welker. So there's Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes started together. You know, it's going to go a different direction, and we'll see who that next guy is that we end up talking about in this middle phase of Patrick Mahomes' legacy. Yeah, Johnny, what what are your thoughts on this deal um, for both sides here? What's interesting, right, was (laughs) – Kansas City actually, they were going to pay 
Tyreek Hill or give him an extension. And then the Devontae Adams deal came out and Tyreek was like, oh, wait, I can get, I want, you know, I want to be up there and pay because of seeing what Devontae Adams got. And that was in Kansas City. They can't do that because they're about to be paying Pat Mahomes. So then when when that came out, then Tyreek, they gave Tyreek the permission to go seek to trade. The reason why those two teams were so it was like immediate was because uh, or it happened so quickly was because those trades were already locked in place uh, when we heard about it. It was just uh, Tyreek Hill was trying to decide where he wanted to play. He wanted to, his heart. Uh, he, he was torn between the Jets and uh, Miami, uh, Miami, because that's where his family is. And then the Jets, obviously, for businesses, business purposes. Right. So uh, that's why it was also kind of crazy and why it went down so fast. But when you're talking about him going down to uh, Miami, because I do think that's very important and people yes we're talking about it but i think it's being a little bit overshadowed uh for fantasy purposes with what does this do for pat mahomes when i i do think he'll ultimately be okay you know they're bringing in wide receivers we'll see what they end up drafting this is a lot there's a lot of wide receiver depth in this uh draft and so they just picked up some nice pieces where they could draft a really good receiver uh but the other here's what's really interesting and and well, they got the replacement today, man. Marquez Valdez. Right. Yeah, boy, oh, boy, MVS, dude. As if MVS didn't just come oh, a back-to-back man. MVP quarterback with a huge arm. Bro, yeah. he's going he's gonna yeah, to MVS is ball out, answer. bro. He's going to ball out now. No. Uh, yeah. But real talk. When Seems you, like both when you of these teams, at- the Packers are like the Spider-Man gift. They're like, no, you can't. You can't be the one who trades away their number one wide receiver and backs him up with MVS. That's us. That's us. <laughs> and then they stole him from us, man. That was our Dude, plan B. MVS is going to absolutely crush it for like two games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll have two monster games for sure. Huge. Uh, Just like Marquez you- Val- or Marquez Callaway. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're looking at if you're looking at Miami here, here's what's really intriguing here. Look at what again, go back and or look at the history of where the the head coach is coming from. You got uh, McDaniel coming from San Francisco, right? San Francisco's offensive system. Now you have that speedster that that you can uh, put on the outside, right? Uh, that's going to be like the the Brandon um, now now uh, Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk, thank you. You've also got, uh, but he can go in motion. He could do things, uh, and you can move them all around. Do you have Jalen Waddle? Could do very similar. You can kind of almost interchange those two uh, because remember Waddle was very very much comp coming out to Tyreek Hill. Uh, and then you look at, so the Debo role is the obvious role that you really want to look for. So is that going to be the Tyreek or is that going to be the Waddle? That'll be the interesting to see where he, what uh, the head coach does there. But here, even so, Mike Jacecki going to play that, that uh, Kelsey role, quietly going under the radar. They tagged him. We know they want to use him. What's intriguing about it, about that scenario, is Jacecki's not necessarily known for blocking, whereas Kittle is a very good blocker. So that'll be interesting. We'll see if Jacecki goes to tight end university this summer, tries to pick up some blocking techniques from Kittle himself. We'll keep reporting on that if that ends up happening. But I will say, Jacecki is someone that is uh, very intriguing out of all of this. And then, of course, whoever plays that you know, quote unquote Debo role because both Waddle and Tyreek can play it. That's going to be a, the intriguing player to to have. 
Yeah, I imagine they're going to use Tyreek in that kind of role. I mean, why not? He did bubble screens and end arounds and all that stuff in Kansas City, just not to the level that Debo was being used over in right. San Francisco. You know, don't look now. Do it 420 saying Tua better step it up. Don't look now. The Dolphins have absolutely loaded up for Tua. He really doesn't have yeah. any more excuses at this point. Not only Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, like you talked about, we just reported a couple weeks ago that Cedric Wilson signed with them. So we enjoy Cedric Wilson as well. Um, you know, we have a situation with Mike Gusecki, obviously, that you talked about. Chase Edmonds was signed there. Raheem Mostert. Like, this team is actually low-key, very stacked. I got to give him a, an applause because we had a take on the wide receiver core for the Dolphins last year, and I was likening them to the mystery men. Remember right. that, the 1999 right. film about the quirky superheroes? You know, because it was Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, rookie Jalen Waddle. You're like, this is a straight-up talented squad, but they've all got such serious issues. The question marks are undeniable. I'm looking at the core they got right now, and there's a lot less question marks with even more talent. Like, you bring over Tyreek, you bring over Cedric Wilson. Like, these guys can both get it done, and they're not... Tyreek and Will Fuller, like, similar comparisons in a talent level, but the course of a whole career, like, these two guys are at opposite ends in terms of reliability. So, like, good job, Miami. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Miami, I mean, Tua is going to be somebody that we're going to need to really get into as a late-round quarterback... Um, and maybe even a middle round quarterback that has some breakout potential if we can see him elevate his game. And and why couldn't he? I mean, all I mean, the weapons he, around him. Well, and it's not like he I, I, he's not a bad quarterback. We he, we get these thoughts in our head because of the coaching staff and their, you know, dumb insecurities on whether or not he could be a quarterback of the future or not. Like you look at the stats and he's actually a, ta he's pretty solid. He's number nine. He's ninth in true completion percentage. Number one in deep ball completion percentage, uh, 10th in pressured completion percentage play action. He's fourth uh, red zone. Number one uh, and clean pocket 10th. So it's like he, he has all this and their offensive line just got even better too. And that was uh, another thing that we, but it's, I think Tua, I think Travis hit it on that. I think Tua will be a quarterback that uh, you should target later on in drafts because I do think that there's a lot of upside there to him. Oh, Meshack oh, thinks so too as well. He's over there yeah. on the ledge. Meshack sees an opportunity to pounce, dude. I want to say what's up to Meshack. Also, what's up to my Aunt Kelly? She says, hi. Hope I'm enjoying Ooh. Colorado. And hit me with a GPG. Go Pack Go. Oh, Love to hear that. Go Pack Go. Well, this is, you know uh, – this we couldn't have wrote it better out. You know, this is what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about these monster trades. And over the last few years, we've seen players like Tyree kill established players go for picks, right? Be turned around into picks and see where do those picks land? I mean, we can run through some of these that have been recent, obviously the Robert Woods deal this year. We saw Julio Jones a couple years ago, Deandre Hopkins of your Arizona Cardinals was traded second, yeah. second round pick on that one. I mean, yeah. it was, I, think, I think a big notice on this one, like I, I had to jump into you on this still one, but it's like hot and bothered, dude. It still gets me hot and bothered. What's so interesting on this one is Robert Woods, sixth round pick. Julio Jones, second and a fourth round pick. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, second round pick. Odell Beckham a few years back with, with New York, first round pick and a third round pick. Uh, we had Antonio Brown, traded for a third round pick with Oakland. Amari Cooper is the weirdest one for me. You know, we had a, a, a first round swap when he was going from Oakland to Dallas, but then a fifth and a sixth round 
swap for when he's going now from Dallas over to Cleveland, even though Amari Cooper performed well as a wide receiver one for those Dallas Cowboys, Cleveland got him for just a fifth round and a sixth round pick. You know, it, it's just, there's such a weird angle on these players. Like you, you might be trading a premier pick or a, a conditional sixth. I mean, it's just kind of all over and it depends on where in the season these deals are being done, but the disparity between them is wide. Yeah, where in the season, the contract, the cap hit that it's going to take. We look at the situation with with Amari Cooper the second time he was traded, and it, it just it cracks me up that it was leaked out that Dallas was thinking about trading him, right, or uh, or actually releasing him, just cutting him out, right, because twenty million dollars was a lot against their cap. I well, think they do that. I, I think, think they do that on purpose because it's yeah, like that doesn't. I don't it. think that helps them when that's why they why? end up having to trade him away for that little of a pick, like for that low of a pick. That's what I'm saying. I think had they had just been quiet and shopped him around, but then their leverage the would have been a little bit better. You would have to imagine they they tried. Like they definitely would probably or they definitely tried to contact a couple of teams to get him traded if you're if you're gonna think to cut him. And then they must have been, you know, they probably aimed high, you know, and and they're like, oh, you're ridiculous, not giving anything back. Oh, you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, so the next thing, the next step that they do is, hey, I'm going to I'm going to say we're going to release him because then all of a sudden you get all these teams where maybe you didn't know that a team was interested or like Cleveland or, you know, you get um, a, a team that you had called originally they weren't interested, but then you leak that. And then all of a sudden it's like you get this, you get this FOMO. All these all these teams get this FOMO and be like, wait a second, I don't I don't I don't want Austin to get Amari Cooper. I'm gonna I'm gonna it was like uh reminds me of uh that a few years ago, which I was gonna bring up uh, we were talking about trades as a joke, but a few years ago when when Travis had reported to or had told me he's like, Oh, I'm in trade talks uh right now, Austin uh to trade whatever X player for uh Austin, and it was like well, I didn't want Austin to get that player. So I was like, oh, I'll trade you for him. I'll, I'll, you know, trying to like up the, up the deal because arms race. Yeah. When you get yeah. that FOMO, when you get that FOMO, then people start kicking up the value of it. So I, I, that's where I think that that aspect probably came from of the cutting. I don't know if they necessarily would have cut him for sure, you know, without trying to, I, I think it was just kind of placed out there to try to get a trade done, uh, try to get of- some kind of deal. Speaking of FOMO and trades, do it. What question are you asking? Yeah. I wanted to make sure we got Thanks for joining. Yeah. Let us know the the trade. We'll rate it for sure. Yeah. And what's up with this freak stomper? That's that's clever. But this isn't rotten cheese, baby, man. This is, I mean, even if it is, that just makes it more valuable, right? Rotten Uh, cheese is tasty, man. You don't like blue cheese? All cheese rotten. It's all kind of mold, right? Moldy. Mm. Moldy, moldy. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? I don't know. No, not always. I have no idea. Um, As we look through some of these trades, the inspiration for for, uh, the GM for the Rams and the F those picture is, of course, the Jared Goff and a 2022-2023 first-round pick as well as a 2021 third-round pick, all for Matt Stafford. And you think the Rams really give a shit about those picks besides the shirt? I mean, they're rolling around with a Super Bowl, right? So... They just say yeah. it right there, and that's kind of the general gist of what we're seeing a lot here now. We've seen it kind of pay off in big ways. Minnesota, they got rid of a guy in Stefan Diggs, right? They traded him out, uh, and a 2027th 
for a 2021st, a 2021fourth, a 2025th, and a 2026th. So similar to the Stefan or the, the Tyreek Hill kind of setup, but what did Minnesota turn around and do? They got Justin Jefferson with this. This might be one of the best ones I've seen out of the ones we pulled from the last few years, guys, as far as what they've been able to recoup. Because right away we're talking about Justin Jefferson as an, you know, transcendent talent. Yeah, it's such a good one in replacing Stefan Diggs with Justin Jefferson, plus a few more options there. I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, Travi, when you bring up this question in the original format, players or picks, it just depends on the team, what they're trying to do, and what your best move is at the time. Like, you know, on that one, I'd say maybe Minnesota even ended up coming out ahead on that one because Justin Jefferson long-term were probably taking over Stefan Diggs, even as good as Stefan Diggs has been. But then you go and look at the Jacksonville Jaguars when they traded out stud Jalen Ramsey for for two first-round picks and a fourth. Well, they, they got uh, Clavon Chesson, outside linebacker, who has like two sacks to his name in two years. And then Travis Etienne, who didn't play at all last year. Meanwhile, Jalen Ramsey's enjoying his Super Bowl ring. So it, it, how successful are you drafting? And that was a big thing when we talked last week about Russell Wilson going to Denver. You know, how good of a win is this for either squad? And the question is, well, how, yeah, you love those picks for Seattle, but is Seattle going to do anything good with them? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so. Not, and we talked about their track record. You know, we talked about what they're doing. Like, we don't have faith in that. I think I just, I'm very curious to see if it can turn around. And, and we'll have really close case studies in both Green Bay and Kansas City. They both need wide receiver help. They both have a couple picks from their trade of their stud wide receiver. Can they do the quick turnaround that Minnesota just did and turn that into a guy that's going to make an impact immediately or within half of the year or something like that? You know, Johnny, I'll start with you here and, and do it 420. We're going to get to your question because it kind of segues right into our dynasty talk we wanted to get into as well. But, Johnny, before we do, I want to ask, of all these trades we've kind of been through, which one has blown your mind the most? Is it anything from this year, maybe a couple years back? Anything that's really just been the craziest deal for you? Well, definitely, I as a Cardinals fan, it would be the DeAndre Hopkins one. Like, that was hands down, uh, you know, the wildest trade. All, also because it was, it was literally talked about in our group before, and it was just like, hey, you know, thrown out there is this would be a great best case scenario. And I'm like, hey, take David Johnson's contract. Well, and it was like, and then it actually happened. So I just never really experienced anything like that in my life. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that was that was pretty pretty awesome. I I do think that some of these trades though are are a little mind boggling when it comes to like these players. Like you know you talk about Bobby Trees for a sixth rounder or you know some of these other players. When it's like you look you look at you look at what the bus rate is for a a player that is picked after round three, right? After round three. So, like, that's a pretty solid. Like, you have a 50-50 shot of whether or not, like, and that just goes down the later on you get in that those picks, right? Like, so, like, anything past pick 96, you're it's a flip, coin flip on whether or not they're going to not only have just, like, a decent – that's, like, that was, that's only – that data is for, like, a 40-game starter. That's it. A 40-game starter career, and you have a 50-50 shot – after pick 96, I don't understand why you're not picking more. I, I you know, I do understand you got to fill a, a roster of a whole team. You got to get special teams players. I get it. I understand. I, I watch, you know, 
some of those those deep dive shows on NFL Network. But I, I feel like you just uns- you get those unsigned free agent. Wait, wait until wait until they actually get a fantasy minded person in a front office. And then you're you're you think this stuff's wild. This stuff's gonna happen every single year because people are just gonna look at it and they're gonna be like, "Hey, you guys are using old data. You're looking at this old 1990s data sheet that tells you what the pick value is based on the Dallas Cowboys because they won three championships back in the 90s. So of course, oh, that must have worked because you know uh, Jimmy Johnson, it, it worked for him." No, it's it's old news. Look at look at new data. Come on, people. Well, I wonder if before I get to you, Austin. Here, I wonder just bridging off what Johnny's talking about here. Uh, all right, if, just got a little fired yeah. up on that. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Um, I wonder if the change to the salary cap is the reason why we're seeing this because we've just basically seen two teams, and I just use Kansas City and, and Green Bay as example because those were the biggest trades for me this offseason. Like, what the hell? Like, this changed so fast and, like, very quickly. And I think it might have to do with the fact that the hard cap is hitting, and these teams are like, well, instead of getting a long, drawn-out, holdout, ugly negotiation, let's just ship them to somewhere they yeah. be willing to go and get paid. And I think Bob we might Lisa. be seeing that, which means – a whole lot more diversifying of talent and assets across the board. I think there's just a larger acceptance that this is a newer age when people are going to utilize whatever tools they have at their disposal to find themselves in the position they desire to be in. I mean, players are, there is no longer a sense of duty. Like there was when I was growing up watching the NFL in the nineties of like, this is your team. This is your contract. You do what you say you'll do. You know, we're kind of beyond that. Um, we are looking at players willing to retire. We're looking at players willing to force their hand. And I think that the NFL front office, um, Meshach is just trying to, he's trying to find he's all of the hidden gems. He's, he's telling you, he's, no, he's, he's like, nope, not today. Yeah, nope. It's like, he's like, ah, oh, you know what? Oh man. He just threw the cheese out, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't care. Oh, we're live. We're live. Is he, a, is he, is he like, if you're going to root for an NFC North team, by God, it's going to be the lions. Yeah. Like, is that what he's <laughs> yeah, saying? Right dude, now? Yeah. Exactly exactly what he's saying. You can't be a lions. You'd be a Bengals yeah. fan. You'd be a Bengals yeah. fan, buddy boy. You know, you don't need to be a, you don't need to be a, a lions sure. fan. Me He wants to really make his case though. Right now on the show Josh, you you kind of agree with johnny maybe not on the robert woodstick but on the uh <laughs> on the deandre hopkins uh, yeah, that was one of the craziest that- deals i've ever seen you know i think our cardinals have actually been responsible for some of the wildest deals we've seen in the last couple of years yeah. uh i I don't, I don't want to comment on Steve Kimes' legal history in the last couple of years and giving credit to some of the decisions that maybe he's made, good and bad, but it's been a little bit wild nonetheless. Root causes, I'll leave for you to decide. But I think the DeAndre Hopkins for a second, also dealing and, and with David Johnson involved in there too, was absolutely bonkers. And I, I think that the work that happened around Josh Rosen with the Cardinals was wild as well when we took him in the top 10. We liked it. We saw him after a season. We're like, eh, Kyler Murray's more exciting. We end up trading rookie or a second year Josh Rosen, who had a somewhat disappointing rookie year, though, and flipping for a second round pick. Stoked about that. But then we do instead of picking up DK Metcalf, we draft Andy Isabella. 
So I kind of putting that whole thing together there and how much intensity we were focusing on as Cardinals fans. Do we take Nick Bosa or do we take Kyler Murray? If we take Kyler Murray, do we keep Josh Rosen as a backup? Do we deal him out for something else? The fact that we traded him for a second round pick was phenomenal. The fact that we took Andy Isabella was outrageous. And the fact that it was done ahead of DK Metcalf was ridiculous then and now. And I'm going to stick it with that one. Speaking of Cardinals and, and, uh, you know, being a fan of your team. Do you guys real quick, do you guys see uh Chase Edmonds? Chase so yesterday after they get Tyreek Hill, right? Like he was like he tweets out our boy, friend of the show, you know, Chase, Chase Edmonds, uh <laughs> tweets out like, Oh, we better look out for us. We aren't uh, like people aren't gonna sleep on us anymore or, or something like that. Something like this. And then Kyler tweeted back at him, it was like, bro, it's been a week since you've signed. And they're just like, <laughs> but it was just like, yeah, no, kudos to you. Like, you're all he's in, bro. A, he's you're a, all in. He's a company it. man. He's, he's going after it. Man. He does it. Tyler would know nothing of the sort. Yeah, maybe. Well, we're going to talk a little bit of Dynasty now and switching gears to do that. I want to bring up Do It 420's trade here. He asked us to rate this. So, Austin, I'll, I'll send it over to you first. Right. In a Dynasty full point PPR tight end premium, he's in a rebuild year. Do it 420 says I traded Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown plus Travis Kelsey plus the 112 for Tua Tungavailoa, Jalen Waddle, Pat Fryermuth plus a first in 2023 and a second in 2023. First word that comes to mind responsible. I, I like this. I think it's good. You know, Lamar Jackson, shiny MVP. Uh, we have a lot of comments about Lamar Jackson. Do I think he's great at throwing the football? I think he's a great quarterback. I do think he's a great quarterback. It involves more than just throwing the football, but you know, I'm sitting here bringing in a lot of other points that can be made about his quarterbacking ability outside of throwing the football. So take that for what you will. Uh, Marquise Brown, this has been his number one option. I like Marquise Brown. I like him now and I like him moving forward, but there's still question marks there. Kelsey's going to have a great year this year, but father time is undefeated. And it's when is that fall off going to happen 1.12 is obviously a pick you'd like to keep but you got to do what you got to do here and then so on the other side Tua and Jalen Waddle not only do that I like that just for your overall fantasy production it's fun you get a really young really exciting double dip there Tua and Jalen you assume they're going to be together for a long time um, Pat Fryermuth was awesome last year and now you've got a young tight end coming in um is he going to be a difference maker? Maybe we'll see, but he's got a, it's a, it's a solid tight end there for you. And then you pick up a first and a second. Like, this is good. I think if you would have gotten like a, a one more pick out of this one or held your first, you would have, you would have really dominated on this deal. Um, and yeah, you come in, you're saying like pre hill, pre hill news. So that makes sense. I get it. Um, I like the deal. I like the deal for you. Um, Maybe if it, you know, now we know what we know now with Tyreek Hill, that does take a little bit away from Jalen Waddle's opportunity, at least this year. Um, he was so good last year. I don't know how Tyreek makes him better. Um, so I, I like this deal. I think you made a smart move. You know, if you could have gotten another pick or not given up that other one, it would have been even better. But I like this deal overall. Yeah, I kind of side with you there, and I think I'm going to put a little more emphasis on on keeping that 112 or, you know, obviously getting one other pick, and that's just because you're kind of downgrading across the board, at least on paper. Um, you know, you're downgrading here across the board. Maybe not with the Jalen Waddle. You could say that's a push, or even Jalen Waddle's better than Marquise Brown, right? 
but you're downgrading to get Pat Firemuth's age. I see what you're doing there. I understand that. But what we're doing with our first and second round picks, and we'll get into some of this when we look at the our dynasty, um, you know, past draft. But you're trying to take your chance at like getting one of these, you know, next Justin Jeffersons or Jalen Waddles or one of these guys. And what we see is that there's few and far between uh, when it's all said and done. And so the more picks you have in, in dynasty. Uh, you know, formats for your rookie drafting, I think it's a good thing to do, especially if you're going to be in a real rebuild mode. You know, you want to stack some equity for future drafts for sure. Um, but I don't I don't hate the deal, especially, you know, you trade away Lamar, who, you know, if you really wanted to play devil's advocate, you could say, oh, well, Lamar is, you know, injury prone and he plays a tough style. And that's, you know, never been longevity's never been a thing for running quarterbacks. And, you know, you could kind of, you know, paint the picture for yourself, you know, to not have the, the seller's remorse there. Johnny, how do you feel about this deal? I'm on the fence with it because there are some good to, like. I think ultimately it's a it's a fine deal, uh, like you both said, because of. You know, if it's a rebuild, the the big part is it's a rebuild year. So if you're just like leaning into that, then uh, I get it. I do think that there is a future there with the three combo that you got. And then, you know, you're looking at two years out. Where do those other guys look look like Lamar, Marquise and Travis Kelsey? I, you know, I, I understand uh, there. But, yeah, I always try to I would have tried to get more picks. And, you know, we why i mean about yeah, it, like I, even, I even if it's sorry sorry travis but i like even if it it doesn't seem i know a lot of people just say oh yeah i only covet like first and second no give me those third fourth fifth like or two fourths so or like like get a couple of extra picks back that might be meaningless to them because they're like oh what the the odds of you hitting on that are, are slim whatever okay good give them to me because guess what like every time you do that you're getting another mystery box for somebody, you or somebody else. And guess what? People are very intrigued by mystery boxes, especially when you offer them as an added piece in future trades. So that's the other part of this is you want to also look out for future trades and pairing things for future. So like in the future, it looks like you're going to have like two number ones and two number twos. You could do a lot with that now. So there's also that piece of it. Um, that's a very good point, Johnny, the perceived value of picks before they're actually selected. You know, you yeah. get basically you could either take the value at picking the actual player or at using it to sweeten the pot for another deal to kind of get another deal going that would get you a, a I want to say a hard player, but that's probably not appropriate. Like a, <laughs> a physical like player that you can actually, you know, put in your roster there. Uh <laughs> So, I, I, you know, I think the juries is still out. I think we like this deal. I think you've got enough to yeah. at least say, you you know, you weren't bent over in this one. But I do think that you could have gotten a little bit more. I think no, I was breaking it down a little bit further. If you just take the if you just take the first two, Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown or nice. to a Jalen Waddle in Dynasty. Like, let's just take it there really quick. We're talking Dynasty. We're talking right now. Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown or Tua and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, see, I'm just taking Lamar Jackson here. I, I was actually going to say, and I know you already did this deal, do it 420, so we hate to be here bashing you since you've got, you got to kind of live with it. But I was going to say, you know, I would have removed Lamar from this deal and maybe even, you know, figured out how to get rid of Marquise and Travis Kelsey and maybe even keep that 112 and keep Lamar because I think of these guys, Lamar's got the age, plus he's got the ceiling. Kelsey is on the way, you know, obviously going to be phased out here, you know, whenever it is, two to three years, maybe one to two, whatever happens. 
but I think I would have tried to keep onto that. Cause yeah, I just think that, you know, like, like Austin said, it's hard for me to be getting excited. Even with all the weapons, there is still a bit of hesitancy to say that two is going to make a next step. He can be good. And Johnny put out the stats that say that he's got advanced metrics and still not be what Lamar Jackson is in, in fantasy football, which is an absolute cheat code when he's on. So that's the big part of this. It's like, if you were to trade away, Josh Allen right now, you know, why would you be trading away Josh Allen right now? Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a game, he's a weak winning asset. So that's the thing, you know, I, I I'm similar and we'll get into some of our rosters where I, I have Josh Allen, but I don't have much else, but it was one, it was really important for me to keep Josh Allen because the career length is so good. Plus this guy is such a cheat code. And I think that's where you're at with Lamar Jackson. That's where this one gets a little bit tough. But guys, I think we're going to we're going to look back at 2020 in our dynasty league real quick and talk since we're on the topic of dynasty here. Let me just share my screen. And I wanted to show our 2020 draft. Mm. Um, and then just kind of, you know, pick your brain on here as we talk about here. So I was in the second spot here. Johnny was in the fourth spot, but I believe we traded that year. So it gets yeah. a little crazy here because Johnny went full mad scientist here. Austin was in the 11, but I think he swapped 11 for 12. It's true. Um, just swapped out here. So you can kind of follow along here, but I guess what I really wanted to get at was what we were talking about before. If we roll through here, you know, CEH, JT, Swift, Dobbins, Akers, Lamb, Judy, Rieger, uh, Keyshawn, Vaughn, T Higgins, Joe Burrow, and Darrington Evans. So the first round, not too bad, pretty chalk, right? We like, we like it for the most part, other than Rager, Vaughn, and, and, and Darrington Evans. And Austin, that was your selection, correct? Darrington Evans? Darrington Evans is my selection because I have Derek Henry on the okay. squad and I wanted to keep that backfield in Tennessee locked up for me and me alone. And obviously that ended and and you were talking, you know, that leads me to ask like some of your bigger takeaways then in, in rookie drafts here because you yeah. went hard at like trying to lock up that backfield there. Right. That's a mistake. That's not something I will ever try to do again unless there is a clear indicator of air apparent. And that's not what we had with Darianton Evans. It was more of like, this dude could be. He's good. He's going to be more of that third down scat back type role, which would have some independent fantasy value, but it's not the value that I was purchasing him at, which was to be the handcuff, the replacement, the next behind Derrick Henry. And that's just not what we saw. And we've got a lot of examples of that outside of this draft where that's the case. You know, sometimes you get a clean swap, like a Tony Pollard for a Zeke. You get an Alexander Madison for a um, Dalvin Cook, something clean like that. that. That's not what we're looking at here. And, you know, four picks before that, our boy Zabo took Keyshawn Vaughn um, to be the, because he had Rojo you know, going on. So like that was his move to try to kind of do the same thing in Tampa Bay. And that didn't work out at all either. So you don't do that drafting dynasty wise. If, if I was to do this one again, I would have probably gone out and drafted uh, either rugs, Jefferson or Ayuk. These guys that I liked coming in that year is what I would have done differently. Um, Yeah. That's what I would have done for I love the, love the take there about, you know, hesitancy on 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 handcuffs or just like no if you know it you know it and if you don't it could be flipping anything right like we can go through 
Yeah, and adding in there with how it affects my redraft formats, like I do still think if you're going to handcuff one player on your entire squad, it's your first round player because that is your most valuable player. So if you can get a handcuff for him, that's the insurance policy worth buying, but only if the handcuff is actually a handcuff. So if you pick up Zeke, get yourself a Tony Pollard or a Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. But if you're taking Derrick Henry in the first and you don't really know who that handcuff's actually going to be, don't even try. Don't even worry about it. And with that, I kind of try to think your first, I would like my first round pick to be a guy who does have a clear handcuff that I can get for cheap down the road. That would be the preference if I'm like splitting hairs between running one running back or another. I'm going to go with the one that has a handcuff. I just want to reiterate what we were talking about earlier with Do It 420. If you see on the screen here, I had uh, the 1-4, I believe it is, took J.K. Dobbins here, and then I also had the 1-8 and took Jalen Rager. So just, again, two first-round picks. You think, oh, you're going to nail it out of the park. Well, Dobbins has been injured, hasn't really performed uh, to the to the level we thought. He should be a guy. And Rager just absolutely flamed the F out. So, again, <laughs> you could stand – you could get – like I you still can get three, four picks, you know, within the first couple of rounds and still not hit. Um, and that's just where we're at, the volatility of this, too. And, and some of that is luck, obviously, as well. Johnny, any big takeaways as we gear up for these rookie drafts and these dynasty formats that you have that you'd like to share any kind of uh, insight here? Go after players that you like to watch or that you root for because this is a dynasty after all. And these players, hey, it's like the NWO, baby, for life, okay? Unless you trade them. (laughs) (laughs) Or you you drop them. For life, but it's a business. For life, but it's also a business. (laughs) It's also a business. We're a family. And that means nothing. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Not still kill you. Family members kill each other all the time. (laughs) It usually is. Not financial. Not financial advice. Not financial advice. Do your own research. Uh, But I I would so go after players that you like. Also, for teams that you don't mind watching too, right? Like I really enjoyed and really like getting DeAndre Swift, even though he went to Detroit because I really think he's going to be a good, and I do think he is a good running back. And so you have to pair that. Uh, you have to have that, that, you know, what you have to toe the I line. just love your, your point was like, and for teams that you don't mind watching. And that's why I picked DeAndre Swift for the Detroit lions. Right. Well, I no, mean, because coming out, everyone wanted this, that, and their mother want to be like, Oh, you, DeAndre, it, it was, there was a, you know, the last person to, <laughs> what? to run for first. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. The last Here's the person. deal, man. Here's the deal. The last, oh, his name man. is, his name is Swift, DeAndre Swift. No, the, the, people kept saying to me, oh, the last person to run for a thousand yards was, you know, back in 1985. I'm like, I didn't care. Okay. I didn't, it didn't matter to me that go for talent, go for players. Uh, okay. Also, well, that's a great question. So as spot, Johnny builds it up spot. here, talking about, yeah, talking about talent and opportunity, because that's the big thing here. You know, I got people asking me right now about, you know, picks and I, I'm hesitant like to even DMs? trade any. Well, yeah, of course. I, I, I'm i hesitant to even <laughs> – I can't show you. That's why they're in the DM, dude. It goes down in the DM. So I'm hesitant to even, like, make an, an assessment on here because none of these guys have landed with teams yet. And so, Austin, I wanted to ask you, 
when you're looking at these rookie drafts, we've done this for a few years now. We started did our startup in 2019. Yeah. We're going on, uh, we've uh, we'll be going on three or four rookie drafts here. So, Austin, are we liking fit? Are we like talent above all, or opportunity, or obviously, you know, is it a you know political answer and it's a mix of both? Or what do you what do you favor, talent or opportunity? No, I've been thinking about this for days since we came up with this question, and I, I think it just kind of came to light right now after we've been kind of breaking this one down. And my answer I'm leaning towards, it's, it's obviously a combination. It obviously depends on, the, on a case-by-case basis. But generally speaking, I think it's opportunity. And let me tell you why. Somebody is not going to be put in a position to have opportunity unless they also have talent. Mm-hmm. Now, now, like last year's Most Amon Ross St. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. you're not going to have a rookie running back in a role to get 15 plus carries a game, unless you, the coach, you, the GM believe said running back is good enough to handle that load. Now, maybe a more talented running back like went C. to another squad. Who's got a franchise type player ahead of them. You know, when you think down the road, it's going to happen, but that may or may not happen. It could end up being like a duo for a long time. We see it go down all the time. AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, for example, is like one that comes to mind right away. Um, so I think I've got a lean opportunity, a little bit over talent. And like last year's first running back selected, Najee Harris or Javante Williams, for the most part, you know, we like the talent of Javante on this panel here more than we did that of Najee. But Najee had full on the opportunity. We know it. And he was so good as a fantasy player last year. Javante, we're expecting to be so much more even this year. But like Najee Harris is still going ahead of Javante Williams. And I would probably take Najee Harris ahead of Javante Williams, even if we expected Javante and Najee to get the same workload in year two, just because I've already seen Najee Harris take a full workload and dominate with it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that one's a little tough, though, too, because we just we saw Najee. Yes, I I personally was one of the people that liked Javante more than than Najee Harris talent wise, just his tackle tackle breaking ability was like awesome to watch. But again, we've seen situations like I think of like Rashad Penny or Sony Michelle or Bishop Sankey or these like highly drafted running backs that are like, you know, or like first, second round running backs that are guys that are supposed to be that. And then they fall flat on their face. So I agree with you, though, when it works out, it's masterful. And I think that's actually the better, you know, it takes some risk. But I think what you're if I can kind of piece together what I'm saying with what you're saying, I think it's like you want to because you can hit the most on that opportunity. If you hit, that means he was talented and the opportunities there. And now you have an RB one, as opposed to like sitting there with like an RB two in a committee where you're like, Oh, what am I doing here? Or an AJ Dillon, who you mentioned is an RB two in a committee because of the, the workflow that he doesn't have. He could be an RB one if he added himself, but he doesn't. So, you know, I think that's a situation. I, I like what you said there. And I think that's a perfect way of saying the mix there. Johnny, you kind of agree with that sentiment or are you, you know, I know you took DeAndre Swift regardless of knowing, you know, that year in Detroit, we had Adrian Peterson and carry on Johnson looking at, at taking stuff away from Swift in his rookie year. So do you go based on talent only, or is it both? I knew Mr. You know, uh, what is it? Um, we know DeAndre Swift and Javante Williams. We know, generally speaking. Well, no, no, no. When it was when Carry On Johnson, Mister Mister Knee Brace over there, I knew he wasn't anything on DeAndre Swift. Man, I knew the talent was there. Listen, I go. I it, there. It does depend on the the biggest question you have to 
ask yourself and be honest is, hey, are you legit a a dynasty? Do you have a, a shot to win the championship? You have to be honest with yourself. You got to take a nice cold shower sometimes and really dig into those emotions. You know, get emotional with yourself and say, hey, does my roster – is it capable of winning? I just have a vision of Johnny in a cold shower crying because he's not the champ. He's just like, I, I can't do it this year. I'm not going to win it. Hey, I didn't have a shot coming into this year. And so that's why I made all these moves, made all these trades in order to make it happen. Because like I said, the question marks or these, these mystery boxes are greater to people than actual players. But mm. So, so in, in that scenario, I'm, I would say, you know, go with the guy that has, uh, uh, if you, if you're, if you're swinging, right, you're swinging for the fences, then go with the guy that has the most opportunity or the most, that is the most proven. That is the, uh, that has that in their, uh, DNA per se. Like, like, you know, they're going to be good. Like CD lamb, for example, like you knew he was going to be good. Didn't have the greatest opportunity. But at the same token, you can't always rely on that because for that same fact, if you we I, and I missed on him, you know, several times because I had a couple of picks there. Justin Jefferson went in this mid second round. Why do you go that far? Because we all skipped off on the opera, the supposed opportunity that he didn't have because he was in Minnesota and uh, he was a rookie, you know, wide receiver. And, you know, Adam Thielen is going to get all the targets over there and 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 struggling. So. That's the reason why I think uh, you have to look at your roster, take that cold shower, ask yourself, hey, do you, are you contending? Because if the answer is no, then guess what? You can you can go for opportunity or, uh, and, and you can go with talent because talent is going to more likely win out, right? Because teams are going to con- continue to give guys that have talent more and more shots in the NFL. Whereas if it's, you're just going opportunity and you're trying to rebuild your team, you're going to end up getting a lot more busts coming your way because you're just swinging for that straight up opportunity potential that might not actually be there. Johnny, you had a great example. I think that's a great point. And it makes me think of two running backs in particular, Clyde Edwards, Alaire and Leonard Fournette. Clyde Edwards Alaire is the quintessential opportunity pick, right? He went one, one in the draft we were just discussing because it was the first running back taken off the board. It was taken by the chiefs who are the best Mm -hmm. offense in the league. And he was sliding into that number one role. Right. So you're like, man, look at Clyde Edwards Alaire. And like, He's been a bit of a disappointment. I think that the the hate on Clyde Edwards Alaire is a little overstretched because he's been like a pretty solid RB2 for you, but he just doesn't look like he's going to ever break out of that RB2 mold. And for a guy that was taken as the number one running back, went to the best offense in the league, like you expect more than that. And that's probably a testament to Clyde Edwards Alaire not being the most talented running back in the league that year or that Jonathan Taylor was coming out and them asking Patrick Mahomes who they should take and say, get my college buddy and Clyde Edwards Alaire. And so that's a little bit long of a windup, but Clyde Edwards Alaire is fine, situated in a good position. I think he's a fine pick. He's still in that RB2 type of role. He gets cut, he leaves, whatever happens, and he's no longer a chief. What is our optimistic take on Clyde Edwards Alaire versus Leonard Fournette, whose talent was never in question? He was just kind of weird, right? Injuries, temperament issues, locker room, things like that. Talent was never a question, though, in LSU or in Jacksonville. And now he's not with Jacksonville. And we just talked about him being an RB2, however many years after he's actually been drafted on another team. So that's because of his talent. Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets the opportunity. But what are we expecting? Best case scenario of Clyde Edwards-Alaire isn't a chief anymore. 
Yeah, I absolutely love this. It's a fascinating topic because so much goes into these rookie drafts. And then we've seen the return rate. Can it just be absolutely horrendous for you and make you feel like what the hell is going on here? But if you have a strategy, you have a sound strategy, you can come back each and every year and go to that strategy. And it helps you, you know, best player available. Uh, is something that you've said before, Austin, and I think it helps you in a situation of a rookie draft because not just the first round, you know, not just all the pressure on the first round, but get through that draft and start taking best available and how it fits for your roster. I'm excited for our Dynasty rookie draft. I'm excited for all Whisper Nation, and we're going to be starting to roll through some rookies here on these Thursday shows in the next couple of weeks as we start getting going here. Uh, but, guys, I just want to close out the show with a couple of, of players I wanted to get your guys' takes on because – you know, every year we've got these strong end of season finishes and we're and we're kind of questioning what we do the next year. And things change, of course. But if we look at it like one year ago, we were coming off Derrick Henry, David Montgomery and Jonathan Taylor. And they had monster last six weeks of the season. They followed it up with great years for the most part. We look at Jonathan Taylor was the number one overall fantasy football running back with three hundred and seventy three points. Derrick Henry, despite his injury. He has the most fancy points per game for 2021 with any, that's even more than JT at 24.2 points per game. And then David Montgomery, he's definitely like the Walmart version of these two, but he had the number 15 wow. in points per game in RB. Um, and that's despite missing some time. So he was uh, very serviceable as well, just outside the RB one fringe there. This year, we're looking at a few players that are strong finishes. So we'll, we'll go through these guys uh, and look at their 2021 campaigns. And I'm going to start with Johnny's boy, Rashad Penny. So maybe I should kick it to Johnny first here. 135 or more rushing yards in his final six games, 19 or more fantasy points, and four touchdowns in that final six games despite chris carson's you know shaky injury history we know that this team is going to look bad and so things are kind of setting up for a guy in, in rashad penny but despite all that uh how much can we buy into penny's end of season run and actually invest in him next year johnny i i or think you year? can I think you can look into it a decent amount. I, I mean, now don't go crazy and don't go, well, you know, take it and say, oh, well, Johnny's like Penny. And, yeah, don't go chasing Penny waterfalls here because, uh, you know, you'll you want to stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. OK, and that's that Penny's going to miss some time, most likely. Like, that's just the reality. <laughs> OK, but if you can get him, if you can get him in like the eighth, ninth or tenth round uh, or or beyond that absolutely check the, the this guy believe it or not even though he only played somehow this is even to my he played 10 games last year guys he played 10 games i i thought it was a lot less than that but in those 10 games he finished as a rb 37 in half point pbr that's that's better than cmc that's better than ch cream hunt Ramondre Stevenson, Miles Sanders, some of the bigger name guys that we actually do actually respect and talk highly of right on this show. Uh, and and unfortunately, Rashad Penny's more of just a joker, a joke thing. But I do think that Rashad Penny, based on what we saw at the end of last year and what this how bad this team could really be and how they're like they're going to run the ball even more now that Pete Carroll's just like taking over that you know he's just like forced out the the one last good thing that Pete uh, Cook yeah yeah <laughs> he's, he's, 
<laughs> he's gonna be so vindictive too. He's gonna be like yeah, chopping dude. that gum extra hard. We're not like, gonna bro, throw the ball yeah, ever. Yeah, ever. You might this just nineteen oh two game. football. Yeah, exactly. Dude. So the wishbone. With, with that being said, and Chris Carson, we we still don't know about his health. I would imagine that his health yeah. is not good. Yeah, I think it's so. Again, I do think that Penny. He looked. You know, Travis wanted to throughout the day like oh, it was one of the worst run defenses in the league during those last few weeks which i get i get that and i understand but i could still say like my eyeballs and the tape that i saw penny looked good like he looked different than when he was trying to play football dude well, he yeah, was the number uh, one running back by like a good margin in a month and a half of football like six yeah. weeks is a sizable chunk and it was the first time he'd been healthy like ever and combine his health with the opportunity and what was he in the last six games the best running back in football by a full uh 1.8 points per game like that's kind of nice yeah it only took four years man Dude, i'm thinking before the 10th john i'm probably taking him in redraft honestly if nothing changes like why am i why am i letting him slip past the sixth or seventh like yeah, this could be a six starting what running came back. to my mind right there. Uh, if we're looking at it, you're going to get the discount because he is going to play on a on a projected bad Seahawks team. But Johnny, you mentioned me mentioning the the tough or the easy run defenses. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Taylor and Dave Montgomery did the same thing a year ago, right? When yeah. we were saying, okay, why, you know, yeah. let's not invest in Jonathan Taylor too heavily. Let's not invest in Dave Montgomery too heavily because those defenses that they played in the last six games were soft. Well, it didn't matter to Jonathan Taylor because he blew up every defense he faced this year. Now, I'm not saying Rashad Penny is Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, but one are. of these guys was drafted in the first round and one what? wasn't. So, what? Hey, hey, no, I think the point is that. I think the point is, is that Penny's got some steam here. And I think there's juice to this. And I think barring anything crazy, like a Ronald Jones signing or something weird like that for Seattle, I think that Rashad Penny is somebody that I would be very interested in, especially in redraft. Dude, Rojo's going to be a Seahawk. You just hit it. You oh, heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. It's make, maybe, uh, or maybe he's oh going to go God, to this. Maybe he's going to go to this team and be teammates with Devin Singletary, who we're going to talk about next, unfortunately, uh, because he had 11 or more fantasy points in five of in his final five games, a rushing touchdown in the final month for every single game and double digit carries in five of his last six games. So, Austin, I'm going to pick, kick it to you because you started to turn my wheels on Devin Singletary over the last you know, a few weeks of the season say, look, something's happening here. So, you know, after the McKissick deal fell through, the bills did go and sign Duke say, Johnson. Hey, hey, Peter, what's happening. If, if you pair Duke Johnson with our general trust issues with this past happy offense, what is standing in the way though, for Devin Singletary in an RB one season, as, as we're talking about, like with Rashad Penny here, Austin, it's, it's, it's just been the opportunity, man. Like it's so weird how good Devin Singletary's production has been when he gets work. He doesn't, cause he doesn't look awesome, but his advanced metrics are great. The numbers he produces are super solid. It's just about the opportunity for him. I am genuinely concerned by this Duke Johnson pickup for him. It doesn't mean that Singletary's not going to crush it this year. I think he's earned the right to make that happen, but earning the right and it actually happening are totally two different things. And the bills have never indicated that they want to let him, let him go. I mean, like, you know, let him be free and run and, and just be the lead running back for the Buffalo Bills. Um, not be free to like leave another uh, team. Yeah, I was like, you know, what are they doing? Clarification there. Run away, Singletary. You know, it's like, it's like why, are we, 
why are we sitting here saying that Rashad Penny could actually have a real chance at being legit? It's because Pete Carroll has made many running backs legit. And this is the running back now slotted to take Pete Carroll, you know, to take his offense forward. We haven't seen, we would need the bills offense to change Mm. and, and I, they've been successful. So I don't know why it would be, um, but if he gets a chance, he will be. Johnny, when Zach Moss got drafted, you and I had heated debates. Zach Moss versus Devin Singletary. You were on the Devin Singletary side. It looks like I'm going to have to say a prayer for Zach Moss because he is he's no longer with us. But um, either way, I'm going to I'm going to have to pitch you here against. I'm going to pitch you here really quick. Your boy Rashad Penny versus your boy Devin Singletary for 2022. If I'm going, I. See, that's that <laughs> broke tough. Johnny. No, 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 uh, uh, no uh, <laughs> overload. Uh, go get no. Uh, what I would here's what I would say is it's it's, it's hard. It's hard because Singletary is more likely to remain healthy the whole the whole time. So when you're asking me who would I rather draft, it's probably Singletary because I'm more likely to be able to play him. Now, do I think the ceiling for Singletary is as high as Penny? I don't. I think Penny's actually has the high, higher ceiling. So He could be the main where, vein of the Seahawks right. offense. Yeah, right. that's yeah he could. Uh, the, this is one of that talent versus opportunity thing a little bit too because if you look at Seattle as a team level, the talent in Buffalo is better. The opportunity in Seattle is yeah, better, right? right? Yeah. So that's where we're looking at it there. Well, the and you're talking oper- talking about opportunity and and Singletary. That the biggest problem with Singletary is not not him as a player. It's the fact that the opportunity is that Josh Allen is their number one running back on that team, mm-hmm. and so especially he takes goal line. yeah, especially at the goal line. That's the biggest problem. So like when you have that, you have the coaching staff that keeps not wanting to fully uh, give the rock to Singletary, right? They've only done it under conditions where they had to, right? Singletary that first year, it was because uh, they had injuries. So it was like, okay, we're going to lean on Singletary. Then, you know, Zach Moss comes in. It was a duo. And then Zach Moss gets injured. Then they have to lean on Singletary. He pops off. I, I just, that's the biggest thing is this coaching staff and Josh Allen, the metrics, are very good. Like, you know, the, my two uh, co-hosts here have said like they're it, metrically Singletary is a, is a beast running back, but they're only wanting to use them, you know, 190 rushing attempts a season high of 40 receiving uh, receptions uh, for his career. Uh, so it's unfortunate, but, and then you don't even expect that to, because Duke Johnson's best forte uh, is catching the ball out of the backfield or his hands. So it just that's the unfortunate part. I don't think he has a high ceiling. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Penny here. I think it's a little bit uh, a little bit more enticing. He could take all the way over as I mean, barring an injury, which, you know, that could happen to Devin Singletary, too, at this point. So barring an injury, this is your best shot at like I think. Penny gets to RB1 if all things go right his way. And I don't know if Singletary can get there, given Josh Allen, given Duke Johnson and everything else. So this ended up being a, a bigger uh, decision than I thought, and I never think I'd be on the Rashad Penny side of this. Uh, but that's that's where I'm at. All right. Our nice. last guy I wanted to talk too, about. baby. Go get. I, uh, 
our last one I want to talk about here was Amon Ross St. Brown, because obviously, I mean, we've made videos on him before, but I think we need to remind people because he's going to be such a polarizing player in fantasy here, what he did at the end of the year. So 10 or more targets, eight or more catches, 70 or more receiving yards and five touchdowns in his final six games. Guys, he ballooned all the way up to the wide receiver 21 in PPR formats as a firm wide receiver two for you. So much was working, though, for St. Brown with Swift and Hawkinson out and the lack of talent around him. Then the Lions this offseason, they bring in DJ Shark and the stars that we talked about, Hawkinson and Swift, presumably back. What can we expect out of Monroe St. Brown? Austin, I'll start with you. He's a guy close to your heart. You have him in Dynasty. I really want to talk about what we think his you know, baseline is. Is he going to be a wide receiver too again? Is that where you value him this year? I think in PPR formats, I think it, I'm probably pegging him as a, a wide receiver too. You got, I got to be honest with the reality of him being a wide receiver three plus wide receiver three minus in redraft format, simply because Hawkinson could be fully healthy. Deandre Swift could be fully healthy. DJ chart could actually have a presence. If that happens, then Amon Ross St. Brown, as good as he could be, would be the fourth option. And that's not likely to produce wide receiver two plus numbers. Now, with that said, there still is a world where in his second year, Amon Ross St. Brown's, he ends up being the number one target, the number one option for Jared Goff, even with Hawkinson, Swift and DJ Shark all healthy. Like there is a world where that happens because of how well he finished last year. He showed he's more than competent. The first win the Lions picked up last year was on an Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown. And then they never stopped going to him and he never disappointed. So he's he's actually looks like he's kind of good. You know, it was it was he, I know he went in the fourth round, but coming out of USC, this was a guy who you would point to a lot of different intangibles with him, whether it's the the family he comes from, a former Mr. Universe, you know, with with a, a mom who's incredibly talented physically and intellectually. The dude speaks like four languages. You know, they're all of his brothers are named after Egyptian gods. Like there's extra things working. Um, but Equinemius St. Brown shows you that it doesn't always pan out in this kind of way. So. I think realistically, he's probably like a wide receiver, too, in PPR formats. Um, I'm, I'd be a little surprised if he was a legit wide receiver one this year. It's not out of the question, but I'd be a little bit I'd be a little bit shocked. Um, I think it's probably more likely that he's a wide receiver three. If all of the pieces are healthy in redraft formats or excuse me, in standard formats. Um, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed because this guy does have back end wide receiver one potential. Yeah, Johnny, he's being drafted, and we saw it in, in these early March, March mock drafts right around Devonta Smith, who's presumably the number one option for his team based on this strong end-of-season finish. It's one I can't wrap my head around because some logic would tell you, okay, well, as Austin was saying, it's possible that he could be Goff's number one option. I mean, Goff loved a Cooper Cup. Goff loved a slot receiver. This is kind of what he's done. Now, Goff never had a talented you know, tight end like TJ Hawkinson. I don't think Higby or any of those guys are ever really or the level that Hawkinson's pedigree is, but he did have a Todd Gurley catching a ton of balls out of the backfield like Swift has done as well. So, and this Rams team or this Detroit, what up, Ronald? How's it going, brother? Uh, this Detroit team is not the Rams before, but is there a, is there logic here? Uh, this is a really run on question here. Is there logic to say that Detroit gets better by putting more pieces around Goff? So then the offense elevates, which means more opportunity for our guy, Amon Ross St. Brown. Do you think that he belongs in that conversation with Devonta Smith around the back door of wide receiver one, wide receiver two range? 
I do think there is a reality where that is a possibility, right? And I know that's not the greatest answer to give, but the, here's what the backstory or what you need to decide for yourself. Dan Campbell is the head coach. He did not start off running these plays uh, for Detroit Lions in the beginning of the season. He took over, uh, you know, halfway to the end of the season. He took over calling plays. What you have to remember is he came over from New Orleans, New Orleans style offense, right? So when you look at that offense, what do we talk about? Michael Thomas, you talk about, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham or, or, or uh, Cook as the tight end, you, you Marquise know, Colston. Marquise Colston. Exactly. You talk about these number one. So in that scenario, DJ Chark is actually the guy that is the value of, of the Detroit Lions, right? Like in that scenario, when you're talking about, all right, that would make sense. And this is kind of what they, they were kind of running this system, right? However, we do know that the NFL is a copycat league. We do know that the NFL learns off of what is winning versus what is losing. And what have we now just seen? We just saw the Rams, the LA Rams win a championship. Well, you just so happen to have the quarterback that used to be the quarterback for that team. And so if you're saying to me, or, you know, tr I'm trying to put myself in Dan Campbell's shoes or, or think about a head coach. And, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but after I try to go after kneecaps, I'm thinking, okay, what does Jared Goff like to do? Okay, Jared Goff, like Travis said, Cooper Cup. Cooper, he, he would always go to Cooper Cup. That was a safety blanket. Cooper Cup was a low-end wide receiver one that year with Jared Goff. I know we don't think Jared Goff is sexy, but he can get the job done if he knows what he's doing. Then you look at, okay, in that scenario, DJ Chark would then become the Bobby T, the Robert Woods of that offense. Is it going to, you know, he'll have games where he pops off, but is he going to be the guy that you want? No. Uh, and then, of course, either way, uh, Hawkinson is going to get his. Swift will get his because of Gurley. And I know that Travis said there was no, uh, sure, there was no great tight end for uh, the Rams that you could think of. But it was because it was split between both um, Higby and Everett. And if you combine those targets for Goff, that was the most uh, the number one targeted position uh, for Goff was was the tight end. He had over 150 targets, which if off off the top of my head and, you know, I'm just spitting here like I do on the on the on the bars, you know, uh, at, on the weekend, oh, he was, it was top three, I believe two years or that year, uh, when he played for the Rams, if you combined, uh, Everett and, and, uh, Higby's targets for that year, cause they were injured. So one played and the other one played, uh, it was the third, it ranked third in the NFL and targets the tight end. So ultimately long roundabout, I do believe it's golf because he's quarterback I do think that uh, they will go to him and say, hey, we noticed something's working here. I like Chark. I think Chark will be good there. But ultimately, I do think that Amon Ra actually does get fed because Goff really likes to use that slot position. He likes to go to that and utilize it. And I think you could use that as part of your, you know, because people are like, oh, it's Detroit. There's so many other pieces. You got Hawkinson back. But Hawkinson, I think, is safe. I think Swift is safe. And uh, I think ultimately, I do think Amon is safe. I think he's the guy that that golf will go to. There's just so much logic built into this take because we have to try and assume 
how different is this Lions, this Goff's Lions versus Goff's Rams, right? How different are these two teams going to be? And in that difference is baked in the cost. Who is going to fall off? Will it be Hawkinson? Will it be Swift? Will it be Amon Ross St. Brown? Because logically, when I'm looking at the field, all of these guys are running their routes in the middle of the field. So it's all within the safety, you know, safety valve area of the field. And this wide receiving core is not what the Rams wide receiving core was, even when Goff was there. So who is going to be the one that benefits the most from this offense? And can it get or can it get, you know, can we see a Lions resurgence of offense and see it be that good? I don't see Sean McVay calling plays for them, so I don't know if I'm really going to buy that. But I do think Amon Ross St. Brown is the guy I'm going to draft over DJ Shark just because I've seen the rapport already with Goff and, and, and Amon Ross St. Brown. And I do think that, like you said, I think, you know, when we're looking at this team versus the Saints or versus the Falcons, I'm actually more interested in the Lions than those teams because yeah, it, baby, it's let's crazy. Go. But that's where I'm at. The talent hey. is actually there, and I can point to Goff sustaining fantasy players from his days in L.A. So that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I like we need a clap, a slow clap for that, baby. Woo! Hearing, hearing Big Travi come on the bandwagon of the Detroit Lions. I, I'm just saying that I like them better than the Saints or the Let's Falcons hey, for fantasy purposes. Hey, I but heard it. I heard whatever you, you need to hear Detroit to help Lions your your fan. closet Lions fan hey. fandom right there. That's I heard fine. Big Travi, biggest Lions fan. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> well, that does it for our show. But before we sign off, I know my boy Johnny wants to get on the mic for 60 more seconds, even though really quickly before we jump in there, Killjoy. Outdoor campfire stream date yet? Was that when we did it for the draft, Johnny? Is that what that was about? No, I think it was the no. year before we streamed by the pool and we had a fire going. Yeah, was it a Saturday it was show. It was a yeah. Saturday show. That was I fun. We have to get that going. That. Yeah, that was. That was and <laughs> yeah. we had we had Hell the yeah. dude, we had the uh, Joe Burrow cigars going. That's right, Joey B. Joey B, Joey B cigar. Yeah, a couple years. Killjoy showing his uh, true blue fandom right there of the Fantasy Whispers, pulling out some receipts from old shows. We appreciate you, Killjoy. Showing his fandom there. Maybe we'll have to think the Saturday show. Think about it. All right, cool. Johnny. I you went on enough rants already in this show, but we're gonna give you one well, more. I'll, here I'll just end, keep, no, I'll just keep this one uh, extra short since I went longer on the other ones. I just want to say. To Whisper Nation, to my boys here, not rookie draft insight. That's not what I want to give you. What I want to give you, though, is some insight. You know, I've been seeing a lot around television, a lot on social media lately, talking about, oh, is this guy the greatest player that we've ever seen in the current moment? And no, I think it's this guy. And and whether or not X players should go after X amount of money and, and whether or not he deserves it. And what I want us to all do is just – Take a step back. That includes myself. I've had to do that quite often over the last weeks. Take a step back and look at what the overall picture is. And instead of counting every little micro detail and scrutinize every stroke of the brush, look at the overall picture of what is being painted and completed and decide to go after that as a scrutiny but most of the time you'll look at it and you'll say hey that's a pretty damn good looking picture i want to continue looking at it so hopefully like that Would monologue you just look at it you'll just keep <laughs> looking at us and i want to say thank you 
Well said, Johnny. Well said. Slow. We got to slow clap it out. That's called growth, folks. Yes. Right on screen. We love it. And if you want to continue to grow with us, hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Help us grow, which is you guys growing as well. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I am Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers. We're out of here. We'll see you on Monday. Mock Draft Monday. Mock Draft Monday. Peace. Right here. Look at you go. You made it to the end of another one of our videos. Hey, if you still have some questions, I totally understand. Or you just want to join an awesome fantasy football community, head on over to our Discord chat. Link is in the description below. And if you're still not sold on us, check out one of these videos. Don't you hear the whispers?